0: I'm Darren Garrahy and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter
1: to feeling laughed at to the moment where if they didn't laugh they'd cry. We couldn't get to our families, all travel had been blocked, we're locked down in a city that's the epicentre of Covid in New York. Our lives have changed and rather than cry we sang some Johnny Logan, Neve Cavanaugh and we laughed because we're really bad singers some of us.
0: Editor-in-Chief of Glamour magazine and proud Cork woman, Samantha Barry is my guest this week. She talks to me about her youth as an Irish triplet, how Johnny Logan came to the rescue during lockdown and quite literally living the dream. I hope you enjoy. Samantha Barry, you are extremely welcome to the last of your life.
1: Thank you. I've I'm, al- I'm already laughing we haven't even begun. I think it's just such a lovely topic.
0: Yes. Um it's it's one I was inspired by through Desert Island Discs. Um and I just yeah inserted laughter into the mix and here we are. Let's
1: do this. I'm very excited. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, well look. Actually it's a funny one with you because I had asked you to be Basically, my first guest, because I came up with the idea for the podcast. I knew I was going to be in New York for a few days in February 2019, and I just wanted to shoot my shot while I was over there. I was like, she's a cool gal. I reckon she has cool stories to tell. Why don't I ask her? But anyway, between the jigs and the reels, you were busy. You said yes. You were like, let's do this. But then I think the day you were free was the day I was going home and it was kind of too tight with the flight or whatever. But here we are now. But you could have
1: been my first guest, Sam. I know. I think February is always, it, first of all, thinking about February 2019 seems like a million worlds a- away from where we are now. And I know that month in particular, because it's a fashion week month, I'm probably running around like a lunatic all over New York. And of course I wanted to do it, but obviously time was not of her friend. And, um, but here we are, we're doing it in, you know, in what are we in oh my god october 2020 and it is a very different world we live in today
0: <laughs> extremely different but we won't gonna we're not gonna talk about that we're gonna talk about happy and and uh laughable things um anyway let's get into the the very first question sam barry your first
1: memory of laughter uh, it's a really good question i was thinking about it um it's interesting because I think I am a middle child, right? So we uh, I'm a middle child of like Irish triplets. My sister's a year and a half older. My brother's barely a year younger. And they're very funny people. Like, I mean, stand up funny. Like I would go to see my brother and sister uh, do comedy somewhere. They obviously, that's not what they've ended up doing. But I was very cushioned as this middle child between these two Honestly, some of the quick wittest like the quickest wit people you've ever met in your life. And even now on WhatsApps, like I'll try to be earnest about something and my brother and sister will come back in with just like the funniest little jabs and they make me laugh. And I think I think that my earliest memory is probably my brother and sister making me laugh uncontrollably. And there is something there's something about being a sibling and growing up in the same environment with the same parents, going through the same experiences. And that bonding makes that laughter even more pure. I'm sure other people don't find us funny at all, but we're funny to each other. And we have, you know, even these in jokes the three of us still have that nobody else in the room will get, but we will get because we went through it together and we were kids together. And we find even, I mean, I'm thinking about like, The terrible names we used to call each other when we were younger. Like I have quite a round face and for years it was just Moonface was my name for my sister and brother. And it's funny now. I laugh about it and every I I mean it's it's said with endearment (laughs) and affection. Um uh but they still make me laugh and I think I think that type of humour, I've been thinking about it a lot. Like it can be if it comes from the wrong mouth with the wrong intention can be very hurtful and insulting but it was always done from a place of love and humor with my siblings and I think there's a difference there um so yeah I think my earliest laugh has to be laughing with them I think yeah those kind of
0: insults those they can only come from a sibling's mouth they're like they're the only ones or
1: maybe maybe a mom
0: or dad but I think it's it's mainly just siblings tell me about you Sam as a middle child was there any kind of a middle child uh thing going on there or do you always feel like an equal of of the two of the two other parts of the triplet uh
1: trilogy very interesting i think we all have very different personalities and i think out of the three of us i am 100% categorically the most extroverted and they're probably more on the you know the introverted scale of of, of, of of introvert versus extrovert. So I think maybe that's a middle child syndrome, like wanting attention, and like let me be jazz hands <laughs> because I'm not the eldest, and I'm not the youngest. So I'm going to like put on a play or be dramatic or, um, and I do think there's a little bit of middle child syndrome to that. My sister's got three kids, very close in age as well. And I was just talking to the, her middle child today, Oliver, um, and I was like, "You and I are middle children, and he talked about it we were he's six, and we were having a discussion about being middle children and he was like, "Oh, you're the same as me and he was telling me how he felt about being a middle child and out of the mouth of a six year old was very interesting to hear that but um, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure where your 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 dynamic and your sibling and where you're placed is uh, definitely has a nature nurture um implications on what kind of person you end up being are you where are you?" what's your
0: i'm what's the i' i'm, I'm the one day? of three
1: baby. oh yeah, you're spoilt yeah you get you got a lot of love and attention
0: i mean i'm i am i am not gonna i'm not gonna deny it um but i too I, i'm it's it's funny that you say that about you being the middle and the most extroverted i think i am am the most extroverted, but i again it is from a place of wanting attention, but more so um the, i always wanted my older siblings to think I was cool. So I would do anything yeah. it took to, to be the, the mentor, you know, and make them laugh. Um yeah. but yeah, I think I, I think three is a nice number. I'm happy to come from a fam of three. But I actually feel like Sam, I, I feel like I know your nieces and nephews. I see them so much on Instagram. <laughs>
1: Oh, I love them so much. Oh, I love them so much. And also my brother having two older sisters, like I don't know how he got through the world, but I honestly have never seen seen a man more patient with women in my whole life. So I think that is down to the fact that he had two older sisters as well. Blessed is he amongst women. Okay, Sam, uh, the first time you felt laughed at? Oh my God, there's one, it sticks with me. And I don't think I'll ever not feel the shame and the embarrassment and the redness of of this incident when i think back of it i've kind of come to a place where i get a little angry about it so um so it's first year of secondary school and i am a little bit of a romantic and i fall in love with a boy in my year and what age are you in first year like 12 13 maybe 13 and obviously being very creative i decide writing a love poem for him is the way forward and obviously very conducive to what I want to be this burgeoning relationship with somebody that had curtains, very boy band look at the time was in. (laughs) And I wrote this love poem. Oh my good God for this boy. And I showed another guy that I was friends with in in first year. And he was like, well, you have to show it. This is beautiful Like you need to show it to this boy. And, uh, and I was like, he convinced me. I was like, yes, I, I should proclaim my love through literature and poetry to this thirteen-year-old uh, boy with blonde curtains, and anyway, so I gave it to this boy to pass on to the boy that I was mad about, you know, crush on. And he opened it in history class in the back, and he was back at he was back at the class, and he opened it and he was reading it. And obviously, him and his friends were reading it, but that's not where the shame comes in or the embarrassment or being laughed at. The history teacher at the time picked up the poem, read it out loud to the class, and then asked which girl in the class had read it, had um, no. had had written it. Silence, tumbleweed. And I am like, I mean, I'm sweating into my school uniform. I've gone red. My, you know, friend sitting next to me knew exactly what was happening. And then the teacher recognized my handwriting, which is kind of distinctive and called me out on it in front of the whole class. And I'd never, and obviously then everybody had a great laugh because they're 12 or 13 and anybody but yourself being the butt of the joke is hilarious. Um, and I've never, I was so, so upset by the whole thing. It really, and I was really, I. I it really stuck with me. It was very horrible. Um, and I think back about that and I was like, what, first of all, good on you, Samantha, 1213 13 year old Samantha with your creative poet, like love, love. Um, Proclamation. I have no embarrassment about that, but like, what happened in the like, let me embarrass you in front of the whole class was that was not nice. Oh, uh, so that yeah, uh, that and it, God, that age as well. It's such a terrible age for, for well, being mortified. Mortified. And um, I remember, do you know yeah. the feeling where you're like, your whole body. I don't, I don't easily embarrass in any shape or form. I and I, 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 I would if people. I think I would find it hard for people to laugh at me now and not laugh at myself. Like I'm very. It's like water off a duck's back, but at that age, I remember and i don't I'm not somebody that goes red ever really like I don't get embarrassed and I don't blush, but I remember feeling not only purple but like just every ounce every inch of my body was embarrassed and um upset with that people laughing at me.
0: Tell me about you in school, Sam. Like, I mean, we'll we'll talk about career and whatnot a little bit later on, I'm sure. But were you ambitious? Did you know exactly what you wanted to do? Or were you kind of just floating around and then one day it occurred to you, this is exactly what I want to do or where I want to go?
1: I don't ever remember a time where I didn't want to be a journalist. And I took different forms, like pretending to be Anne Doyle to my family in the evening and being the anchor or doing like news reports of Italian 1990 as a really young child and like pretending I was the sports reporter on the field with Paggy Bonner. Like, I don't remember a time where I wasn't (laughs) enamored and fascinated by the media and wanting to be a journalist or in the media of some kind and taking obviously different variations. But I was, I think I was, yeah, a little bit of a SWAT. Like I wasn't like, I was a SWAT that loved to cram for exams and what I mean by that is like I'd be floating around and then it would be like a week out from the junior cert and I'd be like oh no I really need to get some my shit together and um and so I also liked doing well in school and I think I think it's really important that there was at different stages of my life teachers that really like lifted me up and I remember One I brought on the late, late as a surprise, you know, two years ago, Mrs. O'Sullivan. I I had her when I was four and I had her when I was like 12. And she was, she ran the drama department of my primary school. And she was one teacher that went out of her way to make me feel like I could be anything that I wanted to be. And there was another teacher that I remember getting my parents going in for a school report and they they were saying, she's very good at English. She should concentrate. She should concentrate on that because it's where she excels. And you, I think you know as much as what your parents can do to lift you up at home. Teachers are a really important part to that, and I think in school for me, when there was validation from teachers, I always did try to do better. I always wanted to prove them right, and I think that is something that every kid should have, and it's really important. Um, uh, and having dedicated teachers that are investing in your children's life where they're like, you know what? You know what? They might not PE wasn't my I wasn't really good at sports, like let's put it that way. Um but she's really good at this and I think she should concentrate on it or, you know, do more of that. I, I think that's really important for people. Okay Sam, the moment when if you didn't laugh you'd cry. Oh, that's good. Okay. The moment if I didn't laugh I'd cry. I think, um, I honestly think there was a lot of those moments this year and, uh, I think that, uh, all of our lives changed very dramatically and I know that I'm somebody that gets a lot of energy from being in an office and being around my team and like going out to events and doing exciting things and in March 13th that all got taken away and, um, it was hard. Like it was absolutely hard. And I know I didn't, I mean, my health was fine and you know, I have a nice apartment in New York and I, I could work from home and I didn't lose my job. So I'm very grateful for all of those things, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't a sad moment for me and my friends and other people. And I watched and I remember being like, there was definitely moments, especially in the first eight, nine weeks in New York where I was like, this is really hard. And I might have to have a little cry. And then, you know, uh, Instead, I would get on a phone call with girlfriends or there was a tiny part of us in New York that would see each other. And for some reason, and I don't know why, in the first couple of months of COVID, we went down this Eurovision rabbit hole. And whenever we'd see each (laughs) other, we played Kavanaugh and Johnny Logan. And it was the thing that like almost got us through the first 12 weeks of lockdown in New York was these moments of like singing along to in, in your eyes or, you know, we went, we went deep down an Irish Eurovision rabbit hole and it kind of still makes us laugh because we have some videos of us like singing along to those things. And, I don't know why, but Eurovision took hold in our lockdown. And that was definitely a moment where all of us independently, individually, or as groups could be very sad. We couldn't get to our families. All travel had been blocked. We're locked down in a city that's the epicenter of COVID in New York. Our lives have changed. And rather than cry, we sang some Johnny Logan, Neve Kavanagh, and we laughed because we're really bad singers, some of us. One night in particular... It got so weird, the rabbit hole that we've gone down. it was obviously the YouTube algorithm. We'd, so, we'd watched so much Johnny Logan, Neve Kavanaugh, that whatever came up next in the YouTube algorithm was Tommy Gorman's 21-minute interview with Roy Keane when he left Saipan. We sat down and watched the whole thing. We were like, this is gripping. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I hope there was wine involved
0: also. Obviously. Um, you mentioned there in New York, the epicentre and, and whatnot. Um what was it like was it eerie because i think it's i think almost well no not anywhere in the world but definitely in ireland like yes it was terrible and and still is kind of shit at the moment but like it didn't feel like the world came to a stop in lockdown it kind of it was okay it was manageable but i can't even i was there an eeriness about
1: new york with how quiet it went There definitely was. And I here's what I think the dramatic change from the previous to what it was was so dramatic. So like, you know, 10 million people in the greater whatever. I'm sure I'm getting that number wrong in the greater um, in Manhattan and the greater the five boroughs of New York. Like the amount of people that you're pushed up against in the subway of a given day, the amount of people you see in your interaction on the street, in offices, in going for coffee, all of that that stopped and when I mean to say it stopped it stopped dead like I would get up in the mornings and this is how unsettling it was I could hear the birds chirping on my street and now you do not hear birds chirping on the streets of Manhattan and because the cars had stopped the only thing you really were hearing especially for a lot was sirens and everybody was inside their house without with uh, with the exception of the like you were One was getting to like, you would get two weeks in, then you'd have to make an emergency masked up trip to Trader Joe's, just to stock up on food again. Um, And that was, it's, that was unsettling. And I was talking to my parents in West Cork who honestly have been social distancing their whole life. Like they were made for this moment and they (laughs) were like, life's not any different, really just the same, just not seeing the grandkids for a little while. And like their life really didn't change. But if you're living in a city as dense and as crazy and as, as, as you know, it is a city that never sleeps. Well, it went to sleep for a little while because everybody was in, in, inside. And I think that difference was so dramatic that for those people, and I imagine in the Londons and other places, and even like Dublin, when you take all of that away immediately, it becomes a different experience. But yeah, I, I can't imagine it being any more, per, any more pronounced than a city like New York.
0: Yes, I can only imagine. Um, okay, Sam, your no
1: laughing matter moment in life. Um, and I'm bringing it back to this year and I'm, I'm probably going to give you like a couple of other examples, but I think we just announced the Glamour Women of the Year and we, I wrote the cover story for the sixth one, which was really every woman that got through this year. And I think the no laughing matter for me was this year is that there have been women in my life that have lost loved ones, whether it's mothers or my aunt died at the start of COVID. And I really like in the middle of COVID and I really wanted to go home and comfort my dad. And that was all taken away. And I think, um, I think there's been moments this year for everybody, especially those that have lost people in this way that they can't grieve normally. And I wrote about it in the cover was that that's, there's no laughing matter in that. And I think, um, I'm a very empathetic person. And when those people that close to me are, are going through loss, um, it's, you know, it's really hard. And I think there is no place for laughter there. It's just to be listening to people and being there and supporting them. And, you know, um, so I think anybody, including myself that have had people that have, you know, died during this year that's there's no laughing matter and also one of the things I've talked a lot about and it's not something that has affected me personally but a lot of people around me we've done a lot of glamour around um fertility IVF miscarriage and the amount of women in Ireland in London in in New York that silently and secretly go through these struggles it's phenomenal and as the editor at Glamour I get to hear a lot of those stories and also as you know a a friend to, to some people to hear those stories firsthand I think there's no there's there's no place for humor in that and I think a lot of women go through different struggles when it comes to fertility or IVF or miscarriages and I think um you know, I have friends that are, you know, they're married and they're in relationships and they're like, if one person asks me if I'm going to have a kid and they don't know what's happening behind closed doors, they don't know that struggle that those women are, are, and parents or are, are married couples are going through, I think people need to be very, it's not a laughing matter to, um, to keep asking people about where they are in the baby train because I know a glamour from all of the women that I talk to in terms of that write stories for us or picture stories, how widespread there is so much hurt and loss and struggle in that for, for women. I'm just so glad that it's, um
0: it's becoming so much more normal to, to talk about it. Talk to me about the women of the year Awards. So they're on the, the 19th. Um, And I was just thinking earlier on, like with all that's going on in American media, with the run up to the election and whatnot, it must be kind of nice to to have this to focus on rather than that.
1: Oh, it's so lovely. And we, you know, I'm talking to you today and we actually released the covers yesterday and the film is coming out on the 19th. And the, the women of the year this year are a 90 year old activist who's been fighting for labor, farm workers her whole life. She's a mother of eleven. She's ninety. She's phenomenal, Dolores Hurtta. We've got Sherilyn Eiffel, who's like kind of a backdoor civil rights hero, um, who's fighting for equality in and uh, in the law with the Legal Defense Fund in here in the U.S. Um, Regina King, who's just a powerhouse in Hollywood, and it's really her year. Um, and we've got Keisha Lance Bottoms, who's a mayor of Atlanta, and this is a year where kind of local politicians have really come to, um the 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 forefront and i think what's really nice about the women of the year and the film is different because we usually have a big event with lots of people thousands of people in a room in new york and celebrate so this year we're doing a film which is out on youtube and twitter and everybody in glamour so everybody can watch it everybody in ireland can see it you know anybody that wants to watch it can watch these women and what's nice is in the kind of in the darkness that was 2020 for a lot of people these women just stood up and fought for something and they're just phenomenal. And we have a load we have a lot of female athletes that are doing a PSA around voting. So you're seeing some of the most famous um female athletes in America encouraging people to vote, because obviously the election's on November third. And we have a beautiful poem for Brianna Taylor, done by a young black woman who has done beautiful poem for Brianna and her legacy. Um and talking about her. So it's nice, it's nice to put I think for me personally to put my creative hat on and work towards something that I'm super proud of in this very different year where I don't, I'm not in the same room with my team. And I think uh, we were all doing some like Zoom celebrations yesterday about the covers and we'll be doing a Zoom watch party when it comes out, but it is, it's, it's lovely. And um, yeah, we're three weeks out from an election in America 2020.
0: Yeah. I was going to, I mean this could be a no laughing matter moment and I don't want to delve into it too much um but how do you feel about how do you feel about the election what are your
1: thoughts Oh wow um I am um, I was really disappointed to be living in America when I saw that first presidential debate between um Biden and Trump but it was just it was a first I I'm very excited about Kamala uh Harris on the VP ticket we I She was one of the first women of the year I had uh, named in my first year. So she was my first year at Glamour. We named her a woman of the year, always been interested in her, always interested in the female politicians in the US. And it surprises me that for a country that's so progressive in many other ways that it hasn't had a woman um, leading the country. Um, I think, look, we're also going through a... Um, Supreme Court nomination at the moment that really worries me because I think the acts, you know, Ireland is just giving women access to their reproductive rights and repeal the eighth. And I celebrated over here and I'm so excited about it. And now I worry I live in a country where they, I know they're already doing that at a state level, they're chipping away at women's access to abortion. So if you're in some places in the Midwest and like you have to probably travel the equivalent of six hours to get to a Planned Parenthood um clinic and I worry I do worry about women's access to reproductive rights if the current supreme court nominee becomes uh gets on the court and I I think it's a worry for a lot of glamour women um it's interesting for me personally because I uh, during the 2016 election worked at CNN and I ran social media and I was very much at the in the middle of the debates and conventions and election night now I'm a little removed and I'm looking at things through the lens of like the editor of a woman's um, media brand and I I think I'm looking at the election through the lens of Kamala and women's access to reproductive rights or I'm looking at it through um, I thought like I'm looking at I'm looking for the sexist moments that happened during the campaign and I'm looking at not in the breaking news mentality I would have had during, at CNN but rather through the the eyes of a um a glamour editor chief but also I'm an immigrant I'm an immigrant in this country and I think it is um I just got my green card which I'm delighted about Woo! but I'm 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 you know, I'm a, I'm a, yeah, thanks. I'm new to this country and it's interesting, you know, I'm in London and Ireland, obviously grew up in in, in seeing um, the faults of the political system in America and where it falls down. And um, yeah, it's interesting. What do you think about it? Um,
0: what do I think about it? Well, I do The Breakfast Show with Ole McDermott, who is kind of obsessed with american politics always has been like it's not just this election always has been so i in my own mind i kind of go you know what i'm gonna let owen worry about it if there's anything i need to know he can fill me in but i'm gonna stick right. to just memes and uh, <laughs> and uh, and gossip so so you know balance is key sam balance is key but uh yeah, exactly. i what do i think i i think yeah i think uh, the presidential debate was a farce also i agree with you there camilla
1: um I mean, the fly, the fly moment was fun. <laughs> right? Oh, my God. I know. Everybody needed that little, like, relief of the memes of the fly. Like, the memes of the flies went ev- everywhere. And I think we, we used a lot of um, memes from the office around the first debate where it's just like, this is my reaction to the presidential debate. <laughs> yeah.
0: I saw a, t- a tweet the other day that was like, "Oh, it's so annoying! Halloween is cancelled. I would have dressed up as a sexy fly." It was actually James Kavanaugh who's what? big here in Ireland on social media.
1: <laughs> I heard that sexy sanitizers is <laughs> one of the Halloween costumes that are is all the rage at the moment. I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Samantha Barry, the person you always laugh at.
0: Sorry, laugh with God. I'm messing on. I'm messing up my own questions. The person that. you always laugh
1: with. Oh my God. Look, I think, I mean, it's probably my sister. She makes me laugh a lot or my best friends. Like I, I don't want to like, there's women in Dublin and London and New York that I I just have to look at them or it's even just a glance in a situation and they make me laugh. But yeah, I think like belly laugh, um, the women in my life and that's, you know, my sister and my closest friends, they just make me howl. On any given day, we could see
0: on your Instagram that you're hanging out with like a, a supermodel or a, an A-list celeb.
1: I mean, I don't know what my question is, but like, is that fun? There's <laughs> many people there. I know. I the one of the people I just spent some time with, um, and I absolutely love her. And I met her because she was a Glamour Woman of the Year. She hosted it, the summit last year, Is Nassim Pedrad, and she was on SNL for five seasons. Uh, she was on New Girl, she's written her own show now um, uh, where she plays a she is a woman fabulous, very attractive, funny woman in her 30s and she is playing in the new show that she wrote and um, directed, she's playing a 13 year old Iranian boy and it is hilarious Um, and you forget it's her, so she's definitely somebody in the like realm of stars that will make me belly laugh uh, and it's hilarious. Okay, Sam, a time where you had the last laugh. Oh, that's interesting. I think it's interesting. So the the, the RT documentary about Women of the Year came out and during the summer, the, the the and it was a great team behind it, and it was fearless. And there's one moment that a lot of people pinged me or messaged me about afterwards, which was I was very open and honest that I had freelanced at RT for many a year um, after college and I was doing overnights on 2FM and I was working all of the hours that God gave me and like twice I went for staff jobs and despite the fact that I was working like 13 hours a day in there on different shifts I got rejected both times for staff jobs and I was so upset at the time like I was devastated like the start of my career I was like you know those RT panels like how do I I don't understand like what I'm actually working for you in a freelance capacity every single day all of the hours that I can manage and I still am not worthy enough for a staff job. And I think not to be, but the last laugh for me was that, you know, 15 years later, 10 years later, they have a whole documentary on my career. And I was like, that's interesting. Cause I was so devastated at the time when they didn't give me the staff jobs. And like twice I tried and I was like, I felt really dejected. And then fast forward, you never know where your world is going to end up because you know, whatever. There was a whole doc on my job and my career and I was so delighted with it. But like, I suppose if you told that person that was getting rejected for the RT job that 10 years later they'd have a um, a doc on them, they probably would have been like, and you had the last laugh.
0: Oh, beautiful. I love it. Because I, I, I say this sometimes on the podcast, people... You know when i ask that question it's like oh i'm not really a last laugh kind of person i love how you just dove straight into it you're like yeah no i got a, i got a doc made on me
1: <laughs> way, like and here's the thing about that i think when i talk to younger journalists or people that are starting the career i always say that like rejection is not a bad thing early in your career like it really is not like i think you've sailed through everything and everybody says yes and you get everything you want Or you don't learn the grit that comes with really fighting for something or fighting for a job or fighting for a career. And I think having, you got, I don't know anybody that's successful in their career that hasn't had a couple of knocks. And so the last lap is usually somebody that has picked themselves back up from whatever rejection, whatever obstacle, whatever, you know, hurdle that got in their way, and they kept going. And that's how I see a last lap, not in a bitter way it's more of a like god you got back up and you did something and you kept going and i think for anybody no matter what industry they're in no matter what career they're in it's not the worst thing in the world to get a couple of knocks or a couple of rejections especially earlier on without wanting to get too
0: cringe about it sam do you pinch yourself like how often do you
1: you know are there are there days oh do you oh good oh good oh good tell me about that like I don't like. I never take anything for granted, and I think I am a. I am so lucky. I get to do a job every day that I love. I'm so lucky. I get to meet meet amazing people that are doing fantastic things. I'm so lucky. Like I think every part along the way, I've pinched myself. Whether it was like walking into those freelance overnight shifts in Orty, and I was like, I work at is and it's amazing. Those four truckers are going to hear me at four a.m. doing the news bulletin on two FM. <laughs> those or, are a great sport. Like, yeah, or the shift workers or whatever. Um and then same with BBC, Oh my sorry, like somebody's somebody's knocking on my door. Hold on. So same with BBC, yeah. hold on. I'm the only one in the apartment, so I've got to, it'll keep going if I don't answer. It. <laughs> Come on. It's open. This is a drop off? You're home? I'm yeah. home. Yeah. Oh, nobody was. I did. You did? Yeah. Sometimes it's not working. Oh, that's not- I'm sorry. That's all
0: right. Have a good one. You too. It's the most New York thing to ever happen. <laughs> yeah. Here's your delivery. OK, sorry. We, we were talking about work, but what I wanted to ask you, because I think um, with with the role you're in, I, I, I'm definitely me anyway, I don't know about anyone else, but I would presume... Uh, to be in that role and to get to that place you would have to be someone who is really driven which I can sense from you anyway but work-life balance are you good with that or are you a workaholic or are you well able to switch off and kind of enjoy yourself where do you fall there
1: um I I am definitely driven and I think one of the things that I've completely leaned into is you know I don't think people should have false modesty about their ambition or their drive or their um, intelligence or their ability or their creativity, because I think you, you, the last person in the world that should be um, self-deprecating your career is yourself, like, or taking you back. So like lean if you're good at something, lean into it and be driven by it, and, be, and being ambitious is absolutely acceptable, um, and it should be applauded. Um, work-life balance oh sometimes I'm good at it and then other times I'm not like I there's definitely there's pockets of the year like when you first came to New York where I was like I'll definitely get everything done and it's just those days end up being 15 16 hour days and you're just like no um, but I am very good at taking stock like what I won't do is let that work-life balance bleed bleed into like a three or four months period I know that there's certain blocks of the year where I'll be very busy I know in September for fashion week and kind of like the autumn everybody's back in New York after their summers away that gets really busy for me I know February is really busy I know this time of year is it's pretty chock-a-block with women of the year for me but what I will do and be very con- conscious of is where I where I'm not as busy I'm not going to um, pile more work on myself. So I do take those moments. It's been different this year, but those moments of like, I'm going to take, I'm going to be European in my holidays. I'm going to take a couple of weeks off, which is a very non-New York thing to do. But I'm like, I'm taking three weeks off. I'm going to Europe. Um, or I'll have those moments where I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm just going to take, even if it's a long weekend, I need to I need to not be on emails or Zoom calls or in meetings on Thursday and Friday. And I'm going to take a long weekend and just binge watch some crap tv and like recoup myself so i think it's a constant struggle and back and forth and uh, but i know that there'll be times where i won't have good work life balance and what i'll do is i'll try to make up for it in the times where i'm less busy
0: okay well on that note if laughter wasn't the best medicine sam what would be
1: oh i love like i think i love i love a really good meal a really sexy meal would a Gorgeous glass of red wine and fantastic company. And I think often that company will somebody that will make you laugh or tell you stories and whatever it is. Like I, the joy of going out and you know, to a, whatever that meal is like, for me, I love like, I love a good steak meal and I love a good big dirty glass of red wine. that's like got so much body in it. It's walking down a catwalk. Like it's beautiful. And then just really good company. And I think, that is just like, that makes me so happy. And it's not, I'm not, a, I'm not a person that like, I don't get joy out of necessarily uh, things. I get joy out of experiences. And I think that's my medicine.
0: I've never heard of a meal being described as sexy, but I knew exactly what you meant. I literally visualized a steak <laughs> and a glass of red. I swear to God.
1: That's what we're going to do the next time you're in New York now, right? We're going to, we're putting it on the calendar. Yes. Then we can travel and you can get to New York, I can get to Dublin. We're doing a sexy steak and, a, you know, a whole, so much wine and the whole thing, the whole shebang. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Can we
0: inv- invite all your A-list friends as well? You're like, <laughs> no. <laughs> Only the good ones. <laughs> okay, Sam, are you ready for your quick fire round? Okay, yes, do this. Okay, the actor that always makes you laugh, Steve Carell. The actress that always makes you laugh, Amy Poehler. The comedian that always makes you laugh, oh, um,
1: uh, Maya Rudolph. The book that made you laugh out loud, the mass. The book that made me laugh, I uh, laugh out loud. Um, well, actually, I'm even, even, even a little giggle. I don't know. They sent me uh, the the new diary, the, oh my, what a complete Ashling diary for 2021. And I was having a good howl at the uh, things before each of the the months. So that that definitely made me laugh.
0: Amazing shout out for the girlhouse. Okay. And finally, Sam, your best or worst
1: joke? Oh, Jesus. Okay. Why? Oh my God. I don't know if I know like jokes like that. Hold on. on. Now I'm being put under pressure. Do I know any
0: jokes? They, they've definitely told you jokes. You have in your back pocket.
1: Uh I don't. Yeah, but I a joke to me is more a story, and that might be a whole other podcast. Um. Oh Jesus! I don't know. Wait, I'm just I'm absolutely blanking on anything that's radio appropriate. Um. Oh my God! It's
0: a punny one.
1: The AI rules don't count. You can it can be dirty, whatever you like. I know. I'll get into trouble. Um, uh, what is the last good joke? Oh my god, I don't know. Do you tell jokes like that, like one-liners? I don't know. Um, <laughs> this is you. Oh my god! Now you really stopped me. Now they're going to be like, she is the most unfunny person. She couldn't even talk tell one.
0: I, well, if I
1: if I told you this
0: happens to ninety percent of my guests, I, like and you, you like, better believe it. Un- Okay, hold on two
1: seconds. Google. Joke. <laughs> joke. Hold on. hold on. Best joke. Short. Short joke. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Um, let's see what Google's telling us. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Are you ready? Okay. okay. Did you know, and this is really important as an editor, actually, I invented a new word. Go on. It's plagiarism. <laughs> plagiarism. Yes. Do you get it? No, Okay i hold don't on. get okay, it okay got another one I got ready it. like the word is plagiarism but it's word already in pl- anyway, that's it. we went too meta with that one um readers digest google jokes are not my friend hold on let me go back and let's see wait 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 let's see i want to see what else okay, we got okay, okay. short jokes. I don't remember why why is readers digest got all the short jokes hold on okay okay ready <laughs> how do you throw a space party you plan it. You plan it.
0: <laughs> Excellent! Oh my
1: god, we got there in the end. He's not bad. Don't tell anyone I got it from Google. We'll just do some 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 uh, editing there and be like, just keep up, came up with it completely by ourselves.
0: That was amazing, Samantha Barry. No, this is a mega busy week for you with the Women of the Year award so I can't thank you enough for taking the time to chat to me and sharing with me the laughs of your life
1: Thank you so much so lovely to talk to you
0: Thank you for listening to The Laughs of Your Life with Samantha Barry I hope you enjoyed Loads of more great episodes to come this season so don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review and all those other things This podcast is brought to you by Collaborative Studios